I genuinely have a core belief that people want to come forward, but a lot of times they need somebody else to do it first. And once mm -hmm. they do, you subconsciously give them permission to be the best version of themselves. So if the best thing that I can offer this world is to share all of my dark everything in hopes that someone else doesn't feel alone in their struggle, and maybe that gets them that little bit extra, gets them a chance to maybe talk to their mom or talk to their best friend or open up to a therapist or any of those things and we save their life that that means more to me than any of we were talking about you know potential commercial success and stuff like that means far more to me than any of that ever will hello and welcome to another episode of bunny hugs and mental health i am your host todd renabaum and hey, what another wonderful episode there is this week. This week I am speaking with Will Craig, and he is an advocate and author. His book is called One Step Forward, Ideally in the Right Direction. You can find that on Amazon. And you can also follow him on Instagram at mental underscore health underscore with underscore will. And in this episode, we talk about all types of stuff uh, regarding mental health, his depression and suicidal thoughts and... Uh, he's had a few traumatic episodes in his life and about his book. Next week, I'm speaking with two people, Terry and Anita, and they are co-hosts of a podcast called Giving Voice to Depression. And it is a very, very wonderful podcast. Very well produced. Anita is a psychologist and Terry a journalist. They both have suffered depression. They uh, interview people and turn it into these really wonderfully produced short episodes. And you can check that out on pretty much anywhere podcasts are, I guess. And if you're interested to hear me get interviewed, uh, I was recently on their podcast. Uh, I was also this week uh, on a podcast called Curious Aholic. Pretty sure you can find that anywhere too. And yeah, you can hear a little bit about my story and a little bit about what I've been going through lately and stuff. So you can check those podcasts out. And while you're at it, you can check out Bunny Hugs Podcast on Instagram, Bunny Hugs and Mental Health on Facebook, Bunny Hugs Podcast on TikTok. And if you want to send me, if you don't want to follow me on social media, but you want to send me a message, you can do that at Bunny Hugs Podcast at gmail and way back to this episode uh will and i met a while ago i i talked to him on instagram live and interviewed him then and we kind of became buddies uh and he's got a great sense of humor uh he's, he does stand-up comedy as well i forgot to mention that uh so uh yeah it's, it's just uh two two goofballs talking about mental health uh so without further ado i give you will craig Yeah, I'm at that I'm at that post honeymoon phase with the book where it's like, all right, I now I had my big surge because everyone who knows me was like, this is so cool, and they bought it, and now it's like, I'll go days and there won't be a single sale, and I'm like, son of a bitch. Yeah. But then like yesterday, <laughs> two people bought it, and I was like, oh my god, look at that. <laughs> yeah. It's it's such a roller coaster ride, and, and like really I like I never wanted really to be an author. Like authors know how to promote their book and they know all the business side of it. And I'm just like, I don't know if you want it. It's on this link. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, I don't fucking know what I'm doing. I'm making, I'm making it all up as I go. And that, yeah. cause that was part of like the whole self publishing like tour for me. Cause that's what a friend of mine mentioned. He's like, if you have this dream of seeing your book in a bookstore, you need to go to find a publisher and, and go that route. Yeah. If you don't care about that, but you just want to do it for yourself and be 100% control of the content, 
go self-publish and then do it that way. And then, but then you have to be your own promoter. Yeah. You know, that's why I reached out to you in the first place. Like I was like, right. Hey, who, who do I think are like-minded individuals who I could share a conversation with? And then of course, yeah, by the end of this, I would love to say, Hey, by the way, I bought, I wrote a book, you yeah. know, I just listened to you and John Cerrone's podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, not when you were on hit. Did you join his? Yeah. We were on each other's. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, w- I listened to your, the bunny hugs with him on it. Mm. And so, yeah, of course, like at the end, he's like talking about the philosophy. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do this book. And of course, you eventually have that conversation. But I, I, I would do this even if I didn't have the book. Like, I love this conversation. Yeah, 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 same. Um, because I'm like any, any time we talk about your book, I'm cutting it out anyway. That's fair. You shouldn't. It's not worth reading. Well, oh, I don't know. I haven't read it, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a copy if you don't have one. Uh, really? Okay. It's it's not. So a lot of my guests do have books, and it's like, so I can't. I can't read. I can read. I have ADHD. <laughs> I can't sit down. And, can't sit down and read it. Yeah. So the nice thing about mine, I will say, mine's ninety six pages. Oh, is it coloring? It was. No, I <laughs> am actually working. I am working on an idea that I have for like young adults. Now I wouldn't be coloring, but like young men <laughs> and how do we the kind of start some like early intervention in early intervention conversations around mental health to get young men comfortable with the idea of talking about their feelings. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like so many of us found this way later in life and that's great that we found it and we found we're building a community and we're working on it. But wouldn't this have been awesome if we were doing this kind of stuff when we were 14 yeah. I didn't even know what anxiety meant when I was 14. Right. Exactly. And if you're, depending on where you're from, you know, like I'm from a small town in Southern Indiana that the idea of mental health was like, rub some dirt in it, deal with it. Like yeah. we all have our shit, deal with it. And that's fine, but it's not serving anyone. It's going to boil up. There's a reason that the highest rate of suicide growth is like middle-aged white men in America. There's a reason for that because y'all buried inside, thought it would be okay for a while. And then shocker, when you're 45, you, you don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just get drunk and mad about it. <laughs> or, or that too. Like, yeah. And like you, you know, listening to you and John's story when it comes to alcohol like, or, or in his case, drugs more than alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like that's seeing how people turn to like, I still enjoy alcohol, but I, I, to be fair, I'm always trying to keep it in check. Like, I will always try to understand, like, hey, am I indulging a bit more than I normally would? Because he said something, you both were agreement, and you're like, I don't understand people that can just, like, have a beer. <laughs> yeah. And I can. I, I could just have a beer, and it's okay. Yeah. Um, well, it's always about intention, then, right? Like, why am I drinking? Yep. Like, is this just because, you know, it's a nice social event that I'm at, or is this because I want to fucking just not, I want to numb myself right now? Yep. 100%. That's I I was on um uh, unfortunately he he shut down the podcast but straight talking mental health with uh, Dr. Alan Clark. He's out of the UK. Um and so yeah, he we did an episode and that was my exact point. I said I said I think it's not less about how many drinks or all those different things. It really comes down to are you drinking with the sole intention of I need to get escape all of whatever's going on or are you just like out with your friends having dinner and having a beer or two? Like that's, they're two different scenarios. And even if you're in the escape mindset and you're only having two beers, like my dad doesn't drink, like hardly, at least hardly ever. So if my dad decides after his mom just died recently that he's going to have two beers, even me, I, and that's, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. 
Now, obviously, you don't jump to like a guy having two beers. Like, what's the problem? But I would jump to that and go, Dad, since when have you decided that's the move? And you know what I mean? Like, are you turning to this because you don't, can't think of how to cope with this? Or are you turning to this because you have to numb whatever's going on? Or are you just like, hey, you know what? I feel like having a beer today. Mm-hmm. Funerals are social. <laughs> what? Well, you paused for a second. Sorry. It, the, yeah, it, the, the internet went out for a second or something. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, my son's watching porn. Well, you'll have that. Yeah. How old is your son? Four. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, have two, I have two sons, uh, eighteen and sixteen. There was a uh, there was a part of my brain going into this today. I was like, "Who's gonna make the other one like? Who's gonna say the thing that's gonna set the other one?" off on the laughter you won you won the contest <laughs> you won you got me I, I didn't know how to re- there was no way for me to reply to that in a in a good way <laughs> oh good that's what i'm here for uh here, take a drink have a drink of water water yes let's let's, let's let's be clear it's water it is only 1 15 in the afternoon my time <laughs> i am off work today so that's nice oh, um, good. like my day of my day job yeah. which is serving alcohol no i don't oh. i that's I do that one night a week. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's that's like my. I used to sell beer oh, for a living. Right, you, you're like a, kind of IT kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I work in software in my right. day job. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, Saturday was my birthday. Happy birthday! And thank you. Uh, Thirty-two. Nothing eventful. Um, and my in America, Fourth of July is Tuesday. So, or it's Fourth of July everywhere, but you know what I mean. It's our, our Independence Day, and so I was like, I'm gonna give myself a four day weekend and take Monday off. Nice. So I'm ruining your day off. No, this is like the best way I can think to spend my time. <laughs> my wife's working. Oh, well, and I was perfect, like, I'm, I'm just laying around doing nothing. And I was like, you know what? This is a really healthy thing I could do. It's be fun. I've wanted to join you on a podcast forever. So yeah, good. Okay. Well, I kind of took some time off. I uh. I, I <laughs> at one point I had like 10 episodes pre-recorded and I was like, oh shit, uh, I think I'm good on this. So you could tell what part I actually like doing <laughs> yes, the, <laughs> the chatting. It's all the other stuff, the business end. I don't like doing, but um, yeah. So yeah. I, I, and congratulations on your, uh, your nuptials. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just, you know, I've learned in my life that I like to just, dive head first into big life events mm-hmm. so like for instance i turned 30 i got engaged and then i decided to move across the country and then it you know then i decided to get married write a book go on a honeymoon all that stuff it's just how i it's how i do things it's all <laughs> at one time i love the chaos are you adhd um i have never been diagnosed hmm. i'm confident that that's probably the case based on everything that i know about myself and what i've learned from talking to other folks who have been um or autism spectrum maybe even <laughs> again another thing that has been brought up um it's not that i'm afraid of a diagnosis that's not the issue mm-hmm. i i think i've just more looked at it as i've kind of learned to manage and function on my own um i've never felt the need like if i thought i was incapable of accomplishing things that I set out to do that I would want to be, you know, possibly medicated, things like that. I, I go to therapy on a regular basis, something my therapist and I have talked about and she kind of agreed. She was, we were talking about it. She's like, you know, 
I can send you to somebody to you know get tested for these things, but if you're if it's not impacting your day to day life, then you don't necessarily like need to. Um, do I think there's a possibility that it could benefit me? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was affecting my everyday life. So, yeah. So whatever. Yeah. If if it wasn't, I would be worried either. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, it's, you know, that's the, you, know, you use the right word, you know, spectrum, right? So perhaps I'm on like the tail end side of something. Like I just recently did a, uh, excuse me, a sleep test for sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. And I got the results back and I'm like on the very bottom end of what could be considered sleep apnea. And I'm like, well, okay, then we're not, we're not going to mess with a CPAP machine. This is kind of silly. Like I, I'm like, I should probably just lose 10 pounds and that'll probably dip me back below. That's, that's probably Uh, the simplest answer uh, if I can actually do it. I don't know. Or get a really tiny sleep app machine. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how that stuff works. (laughs) I I know both my parents have the the, the whole mask and everything. Um, Are they big? Uh, You know, I mean, my dad definitely big mom, not so much, but like Mm. they just, I think they both snored a lot and mm-hmm. i think they both got tested and that's what it was and so they, they enjoy it and they my dad tells me he's like hey like i can tell how much better sleep i get uh with this and so i i was vehemently against the machine just simply because um it, the idea of that ha- being on my face scares the shit out of me to be honest <laughs> with you but if like the results came back and it was like hey this is like causing serious harm to your body you sleeping this okay well my opinion doesn't matter anymore this is now more important than whatever dumb bullshit opinion i have um but then and then i get the results back and i'm like oh we're talking about like like i'm barely on the richter scale like <laughs> and, and then they then good sleep is very important for mental health like god if i don't sleep ugh, it's like gas on fire yeah i mean i was gonna say do you know like on average how like how many hours you sleep now um, no, I'd say, well, it depends on work, on work nights. I go to bed earlier and like, I'm one of these guys that like, I, I can like for three days go to bed at like 11 and then for four nights go to bed at like two in the morning. And it doesn't like some people that, you know, you slowly have to like change your sleep schedule. I can just do it whenever I want, partly because I have a medication to help me sleep. <laughs> You have a medication. Oh, what medication? If you don't mind asking, uh, it's Seroquel, which is a uh, an antipsychotic. Um, but it's like so. So so a lot of people have it. Take it to use as an antipsychotic. My doctor prescribed prescribed it to me as a sleep aid. So I, I it's like a really small dose, like super tiny, but it's just enough to like stop the squirrels in my head when I'm you know, have my head on the pillow. You know, it's just kind of good night. I'm out. So was that like the the trigger event for you? Was it like you realizing for you like you couldn't turn your brain off to be able to go to sleep? Uh well, yeah, that was one of my symptoms, I guess. Of yeah. Well, apparently ADHD. I didn't know that until six months ago, but um, but yeah, that makes sense, I guess. But I've been on this med for like ten years, though. Okay, I was just curious. I um. Because that's something I've, I've always struggled with is like the ability to like make myself. I usually have to be just tired enough and then I will go to sleep. But once I'm out, I'm out. Might mm-hmm. as well be dead to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's quite comical. But uh, there are nights where I felt, feel my mind wandering and I usually have to. But I've learned some different like meditative things to help kind of focus my mind, calm it down. And then that's tend to work. Or like if I have to, like I keep, you know, 
Tylenol PM or something around if I need to go to sleep. Um, <laughs> what, you pound Tylenol to help you sleep? No, they have like a nighttime one. Or like something like like a sleep aid version. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, isn't there a NyQuil. sleep act? <laughs> See, like NyQuil, like I reserve, that's like, okay, I have a really bad cold and like I'm not going to be able to breathe. So I need to just knock myself out. That that's what I save that for. If you're if you're doing Nyquil on a daily basis, I have questions. <laughs> you should probably consult your doctor. <laughs> well, that's how I feel about the Tylenol PM. <laughs> but that's like not. I get Okay. Yeah. 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 It's I just, got you. But you don't take it nightly. It's just the odd time you can't sleep, or. Uh, I do take it quite often, oh. so I probably should get that looked into. That's that shit's bad for your liver. They say. They say. Okay. No, I, I believe that. I probably should. I, I don't, I wouldn't, I would say for myself that that's probably something I should look into is like, why am I not being able to fall right asleep? That's, I, th- I think that's the root cause. I think more often than not for me, when it comes to any sort of um, like constant, any type of seeking medical care, right? Mm-hmm. I always kind of want to understand like, what's the root cause driving it to know where to go to get that support. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So like for me, is it more of a like physiological response? Like that's keeping me up. Cause I'm like overly anxious. Is it just like you said, like an undiagnosed ADHD. So therefore my mind is wandering and maybe that's the medication, but I kind of want to understand what that is to know where to go ask. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so here's something I've been, I, 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 I'm not sure how to ask. So I know <laughs> I've, I've heard your story a few times and I know you wrote a book, uh, so you had a, a, a partner that passed away. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about that part of it other than it happened. Is, do you, do you, is that something you want to talk about or no? Your, your audio went back for a second on me. Sorry about that. <laughs> but yeah, but I heard the question, if I heard you correctly, the question was, you know, you've heard that I had a partner at one point in life that passed away and like you just know that that happened but you don't know like the why behind it or any of those things mm-hmm. um yeah and it's and it's no it's a completely fair question uh, quite honestly i'm not a hundred percent sure what happened as far as the the going theory for me is like there was probably some un- undiagnosed disease i don't know that i ever saw a formal like autopsy from that perspective but this was not like it was not her own doing it was she went to bed and didn't wake up the next day Oh shit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, kind of the backstory there. So we had spent the weekend. I was at her, we weren't living together at the time. Um, and we had, I'd spent the weekend at her place. And then on Sunday I left cause she had to go do some stuff for work. We talked Sunday night, like texting. And then I didn't hear from her Monday. And like I was doing my day job and like I hadn't heard from her all day. And then eventually, like, I've talked to her roommates and they were out of town, but they were like, yeah, we haven't heard from her either. They tried calling. And then that led me to, okay, well, kind of exhausted all the options. I called every hospital in the area. I was like, I, you know, what could be the options? And so I was like, I'm just going to go over there and see if I can get any information and show up, see that her car's there. Okay now oh it's locked doors locked okay and then i called emergency maintenance um and when i called them i just kind of said hey i know i'm not the leaseholder here but 
you can call any one of them. No one's heard from her in her car. She's like, we need to get in here. And then they showed up. And then from there, it was kind of at this point, it's where it gets like really surreal from like my individual perspective of like everything kind of felt like it was going super fast and slow motion at the same time. Um, but essentially once the pair, you know, the, the landlord, like one of their staff members, plus like the emergency maintenance person came in, they saw her and then the meet, they came out. I'm, I'm still outside the apartment at this point. And they're like on the phone with 911. And when I saw the dispatch people going, or the, sorry, the, the EMTs going in, like, yeah, I saw the look on their face when they came out and it's like, she's already gone. Mm. So, hmm. How long and then I get the lovely, sorry, what? How, how long were you together? Uh, about a year. Hmm. Sorry. And then you were going to say, and then I got the lovely. Oh, I got the, I got the lovely experience of being questioned by the police shortly after that. Like, I, like I'm realizing this is happening. And then of course the police would like to talk to me because we've all seen law and order. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, huh. Yeah. Talk about a traumatic experience. You're, you're already experiencing that part. And then you have to go into a room and talk about your relationship and, you know, was she mad at you? What, what made you decide to go there? Your sex life, all of it. Like it's good. Yeah, uh, yeah. That alone would I, be yeah. traumatic. Yeah. That was, I mean, I, I would pay a fair amount of money to watch that interrogation fits on tape somewhere. Hmm. Um, just cause I'm, I'm genuinely curious what i i had to be hysterical i i not in a com- comedic way i just mean like mm-hmm. emotions were all over the place trying to process this and i'm like i don't know what i said or didn't say uh but i mean obviously like they let me go and i went home and then it was pretty clear like it was no one was home i i, I called them <laughs> right. you know what i mean yeah yeah huh. well that doesn't mean much because lots of murderers call the police like, That's oh, really my wife point. fell down the stairs. <laughs> Whatever. That's a really fair point. <laughs> um, I will say, in my own defense, uh, the door was deadbolted locked. And you don't I don't have, have to defend key. yourself. That's right. <laughs> fair. That's fair, though. <laughs> no. yeah, I'm not accusing you of anything. No. I'm just saying. <laughs> this has now turned into a true crime broadcast. <laughs> God. Uh, you, can, you can edit that part out. It's okay. <laughs> I like it. Um, do you want me to edit that part out? We can talk about stuff later. I'm not worried about that. Okay. Uh, so was was that kind of the beginning of your mental health journey? Uh, and it kind of, or at least, yeah. Yeah. Did that kind of trigger your. I would say yes and no at the same time. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. So, or right now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's been one second and let me explain. So, Prior to those events, I had gone through a pretty dark period of my life um, where I was in some serious depression and, you know, I was miserable at my job, all these different things. I, my relationship at the time, not with that woman, um, the different woman who deserved far better than what I was offering. Frankly, I was just in a really bad mental space and genuinely considering suicide. And that's kind of, I think, when the real mental health started. However, my dad shows up one day to my disgusting apartment that, I mean, that should have been condemned after that. I I mean, I was not taking care of myself at all, and uh, just miserable. 
uh, and depressed. And I got to that point. And then when he showed up, you know, I went back to my parents' house and I just stayed with them for a little while and kind of was starting to re put the pieces back together. But I only kind of did the surface level. I did enough to be like, okay. Like I, you know, I was hanging out with friends again. I was, um, yeah, I was holding down a job. I was, I was being a contributing member of society. So by, and I was laughing, you know, I was still enjoying life, but I'd never actually, I don't think processed what was happening in that previous period of my life. And then after Allison passed away, that's when it hit me that I was like, because, you know, in therapy, you go in for one reason because you're like, oh, it's like it's like the doctor. Oh, I, I have a sore throat. I'm going to go see the doctor because I have a sore throat and I want to know what's wrong with me and don't give me medication or whatever and we're done. I think a lot of people go into therapy with that mindset. Hey, I have problem A that I need to go deal with. You tell me what's wrong, whether it's medication or whatever we do, and then hands clean. Mm-hmm. And so I went into therapy after, after Allison died. There was really no way around it like i it, my grandfather was like you need to go talk to someone like and this is a, it's a very stoic guy who was never gonna probably suggest that but he's like he looked at me and said kid him and my grandmother they looked at me and said kid you're you're not supposed to know how to deal with this at your age that's just not i was in my mid-20s when that happened like that's not something someone should be dealing with and know how to process mm-hmm. and so i went uh to therapy with the intention of just, all right, clearly I need to just deal with whatever I'm grieving on. And it was in therapy that first time that I really kind of started to unpack the idea that like, well, how you are experiencing this traumatic event is really just a manifestation of everything that's come before it. And you now have this new catalyst, but all your prior experiences are making you experience it in the way you do. And so I, that's why I say that it's kind of both. Mm-hmm. I think that event of her dying was the start in many ways, but really where I had issues happened uh, you know, a few years prior and it just kind of carried in and it's kind of evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. As a kid, you maybe pick up bad coping mechanisms or you have a, sure. a parent that has bad coping mechanisms. So then you pick up weird uh, belief systems and stuff and whatever. Tra- yeah trauma how you cope with trauma and all this stuff and then so yeah um so it's, it's almost like when when she passed away it was almost the beginning of your healing more than anything in a really kind of messed up way yeah like that's really what how it felt was like this was the beginning of me having to learn who i was and so like in the book i kind of that's how i kind of draw the map it's like i'm going to give you the background of like the different experiences in my life that were pivotal Mm-hmm. And then from those m- moments, I'm going to explain some things that I learned about myself to help cope with what's buried deep inside of me. Um, and so like one thing we haven't talked about yet in this prior to both those two instances of mental health, this should have probably been something I worked on in mental health too, but just, you know, didn't think about it like that. I've had six brain surgeries. What? Yeah. I've had seven. Oh, really? No, I just wanted to be better than you. <laughs> I don't know if it's better. You're better. You're probably healthier if you haven't had six brain surgeries. Uh, I've had uh, zero. Sorry. <laughs> right. Actually, I do so, remember you saying this when we were doing our Instagram live. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a nice, nice scar back here. Cool. I don't know if anyone saw that, but um, yeah, so I've, I've had six brain surgeries. Um, 
I was born with a condition called hydrocephalus. So uh, the short version of the story is basically you have your brain, you have your skull, and in between you have cerebral spinal fluid. Your body brings it in, drains it out, absorbs it naturally. Mine brings it in, none leaves. Mm -hmm. And so I have a mechanical device called a shunt that does the draining for me. Problem is, it's a man-made piece of plastic. It breaks. And when it breaks, very urgent, at least in my case, it's very urgent that I go get that fixed. <laughs> um, and so I was diagnosed when I was a baby. And then I went 16 years without a problem. Hmm. And then in high school was when I had kind of, oh, sorry, I had two surgeries when I was a baby. That's two of the six. And then I had one when I was a sophomore in high school. But at that time, like I didn't, we hadn't even like thought about it like that. My family and I like, I mean, we knew it was there obviously, and it, but it hadn't been a problem for so long. It wasn't everyone. We just thought I had the flu. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it was like, okay, his temperature has dropped significantly. We need to go to see him, seek a medical professional and it all happened very fast. And then my dad and mom were like, Hey, like this is, he has this, by the way, we should look at that too. And sure enough, it was, and fix the problem. And then a year later, it happened twice within two days of each other. And then six years ago, I had surgery again. Um, but I, again, this is something I talk about in the book too, is um, that first one when I'm in high school, you know, the two when I'm a baby, I, I mean, they happened, but I, I don't, I have a nice scar on my stomach, but like, I don't recall that obviously. Um, so I recall being waking up in the hospital. I'm 16 years old. And, I, and they tell me what's wrong. And I'm like, I don't believe you. But then I go touch my head. And I'm like, ah, yep. Okay. They're, they're not lying. This is, this is right here. And so you didn't even know you had a surgery when you woke up from it? No, not really. I mean, I was probably on a fair amount of everything to make me feel okay. So, right, yeah. um, so like, I didn't, I didn't notice it, um, right away. I did. Here's what happened. I went, the last memory that I can recall was going to the hospital with my father and them taking my temperature. And I'm pretty sure they said somewhere in like the high eighties. At that point, I don't remember a single thing that happened from one o'clock that afternoon until about nine 30 at night, something like that. Been there. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> for different reasons, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't recall any of that. And so and then I woke up and then so I obviously like I had this relief of like, Oh, God, they, you know, they saved my life. This is incredible. But now I have to look at my family and look at my friends. And I think I had a girlfriend, at the, I had a girlfriend at the time. And you know, they all come in, they're looking at me. God, and I can how many see. women have you been with? <laughs> you stud. <laughs> Oh man, it's not, it's not nearly as cool as that. <laughs> All of them deserve better. Uh, that's, that's the honest truth. Um, anyway, so, but, so I had to watch them walk in the room and I, and I can see the, the tears that they're wiped away before they walked in, but I can see them all heartbroken. And I believe that that was the initial thing that re I've always had my quirks and my things. And again, maybe some undiagnosed ADHD and things like that. But this was very pivotal to me in the sense of, I now realize that because I have this condition, everyone in my life, because they're involved with me, I'm at a sunk cost. That's how I saw it. It was purely transactional is I am a sunk cost to all of you because you're going to have to deal with this. Anybody who's in my life for the rest of my life. 
this is a potential thing that's going to derail everything. And because of that, I have to be excellent. I have to be the best. I have to do all these things because if I'm not, then there's really no reason they should be in my life. That's how I saw it at 16 years old. And I carried that with me. And then you go in, so then you go into that depressive period. Most of that was pushed by the fact that I was not succeeding in, in life the way I thought I was supposed to. I was not fulfilling all the things that I thought I was set out to do. And, you know, you talked about the women, but like I was dating a woman. She, we were doing a long distance thing at this point in time. I was a miserable piece of shit. Like she deserved so much better, still does, still deserves so much better than what I was offering at that time. And I had no business being with anybody. I had no, I needed to really take a deep look at myself, but I don't, I didn't realize it enough at that time. And it got to, it went, it's bad when your self esteem is so tied to your success that you, when you feel like you're not meeting it, you'd rather be dead. Mm-hmm. That's where I was at. I would rather be dead than deal with the fact that I am not inadequate. Yeah. Yeah. My inadequacy led me to get to a point where I said, the world is probably better off without me. Uh, I'm, I'm a burden to everyone. And then the fact that I didn't have the wherewithal now, in hindsight, looking back to say, mm, maybe we should have dove into this a little deeper uh, from, you know, that's, I, I'm kicking myself to this day, but it all made me who I am today. So mm-hmm. my hope is to engage with people like you and keep this conversation going forward. Maybe someone can learn from my mistakes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. I, I, I talked to, I was on someone else's podcast. Um, can't think of the name. Doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, uh, she, she's kind of done research cause she's interviewed so many people about depression and she has this little film and it's, uh, um, about depression and she's taken all these sound bites from people and, everybody almost says the exact same words it's almost cliche like how you you feel so alone you feel worthless and you, but yet you're not alone because everybody that's going through depression feels alone so that's kind of like the oxy or not the oxymoron the uh the paradox the paradox yeah yeah it's like yeah. you feel so alone but like everybody's feeling alone going through that so really you, you shouldn't feel alone <laughs> if anything you should feel a part of a community, right? Um, but yeah, that's 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 the your brain. That's the disease, or maybe it's not a disease, but you know the. But no, okay. So what you just said, what you just said right there, is like the central hypothesis of why I do what I do. I don't care if it's writing the book or I blogged for five years, you know, for years talking about what I was going through and stuff, and then carry that into even the videos that I do. Uh, and actually, this week's video series is going to be around suicide and taking a couple parts with that. I do all of this because of what you just said. I there is when you are in that place, you feel so incredibly alone. Even though to your point, there is this community of people that would understand and give you the biggest hug and understand, but it doesn't matter. In that moment, you can't escape it. And so I want to because I hear that a lot from people all the time. They say, like, oh, well, you know, I just want to tell them like it's gonna get better, it's gonna do all these things. At that point in time, the th- if you're contemplating the idea of not being in this world anymore your brain is not able to process the next day, let alone this artificial future you have set out of, hey, look, it's going to get so much better in five years. Mm -hmm. Today's episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health is brought to you by Co-op. I've been a member of my local co-op, Sherwood Co-op, for, oh, about 
25 years, I think. My co-op is one of more than 150 local independent cooperative associations in more than 600 communities across Western Canada. Co-op is a different kind of business. It's not just a gas bar or a grocery store, although co-op is those things too. At its core, co-op is a group of people working together to help their neighbors and build their community. Co-op members are owners and success is shared with everyone. Your co-op doesn't benefit one person or one corporation. Your co-op was built for everyone. Your co-op was built for your community. Learn more about co-op and find a location near you at coop.crs. That didn't mean anything to them. Yeah. You feel stuck. Like you feel like this is the rest of my life now is going to feel like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredibly dark. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, and so I want to grab those people and say, I love you. I'm here to listen. And, and people do want to hear your story. And I genuinely have a core belief that people want to come forward but a lot of times they need somebody else to do it first. And Mm -hmm. once they do, you subconsciously give them permission to be the best version of themselves. So if the best thing that I can offer this world is to share all of my dark everything in hopes that someone else doesn't feel alone in their struggle, and maybe that gets them that little bit extra, gets them a chance to maybe talk to their mom or talk to their best friend or open up to a therapist or any of those things, and we save their life, that that means more to me than any of we were talking about, you know, potential commercial success and stuff like mm-hmm. that means far more to me than any of that ever will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was just, uh, I've been a part of a panel a little while ago and, uh, it was, it was like a men's mental health thing. I guess June was men's health month mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> I can't keep track of all the months. It is hard to keep track. There's a lot of, there's a lot of <laughs> awareness months and it's great. It's just, but it does get a little confusing. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and he was saying, uh, his name is uh, Emmanuel Flores and he's, I talked to him on the podcast too, but he was saying it's like, especially for men, it's like once you open up and this is exactly what you were just saying, it's like you then give permission for someone else to then open up. And it's like, as a man, we're all just, keeping her mouth shut and sitting down and getting angry and drinking and, and all that stuff. And, you know, <laughs> but to actually talk about what's making us angry and why, what's driving us to drink. And then one, once one person does, then it's like, you know, the floodgates open from everyone else. It's like, Oh, finally someone else has given me permission because th- they, they set an example. Yeah. That's so true. And it's the weirdest double-edged sword for me. Yeah. Because on one hand, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me like when they see a video or something I, I wrote or anything and they're like, wow, that one really hit home with me and then X, Y, and Z and they'll explain their story. On one hand, so incredibly powerful to hear that from somebody knowing that like I reached them and that was great. Also, awful that you're going through that. It's this weird yeah. thing. Like I don't want to know that you're, str- I don't want to know that anyone's struggling, but I'm so happy that you were empowered to want to share that at least because just I don't know about you, but once you can like let it out and kind of unburden yourself, that alone can be a powerful feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm just knowing like it's, I'm not carrying this anymore on my own. I'm now sharing the weight with my wife or a best friend or my family or whoever I'm sharing that. And it does get less scary. Are you a Harry Potter fan? This is a really specific segue. No, never seen a movie. No. Oh. Okay. So, it's interesting um, 
so in Harry Potter, uh, well, one, uh, J.K. Rowling, her description of a Dementor, which is a thing, if, uh, a thing that sucks out the souls and delude people in in there, um, was about she. The way she described that was her experience with depression. So there's a lot of mental health stuff actually that goes through in Harry Potter. But there's another character uh, that ha- is talking to Harry, and she's saying, you know, the big bad guys like out to get him. He's like, you know, if I, she said, if I were him, I'd want you to feel alone. Because when you're alone, you're not so scary by yourself. And that one message is so powerful for all of us. If you're facing, I don't care if it's anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, any of those things, when you feel alone, that battle is hard one to win on your own. But when you have a community, when you have people around you that want to build you up and they want to be there, but you have to be willing to do it, but maybe they're the wrong messenger. If I can be the messenger... I'll do it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I was gifted with one thing in this life, which is that I have zero shame. <laughs> I will <laughs> so do. That's how you got okay. all the women. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. I'm no. I that I couldn't explain at all. <laughs> Not at all. Um, I think for me though, it's just yeah. I've never like I do stand up comedy, but I write my stand up comedy bit two hours before I go on stage. I just don't have shame. Wherever that was supposed to exist inside me, it doesn't. <laughs> and so what a wasted ability if I don't put out my stuff out there. Of course, like I've written, whether it was the blog or the book, I wrote stuff that I'm like, oh, crap, my mom's going to read that. <laughs> <laughs> and But I was like, I, I, I love my mom, and I know that she's going to love me no matter what, so we're cool but I have to do this. And she knows like that at the end of the day, like the greater mission I have in this is I need someone to feel less alone in this. And so, yeah. Did you want to hear about the drug use? No, probably not. But are you, or, or knowing that I contemplated suicide, that's probably not the best thing as a mother you want to hear, but knowing that I'm willing to put it out there to make someone else's life a little better. I think we both win there. So I, this happens to me every time I, I get questions in my brain, like, Oh, I want to, here's a follow-up question. And then I forget to write it on and then I forget it. So that happens, but I love that you do it based on active listening, not like a preset list of things. Like that's to me, the more impactful part of a podcast is the back and forth versus if you just came in with like a script of like, I'm going to ask these seven questions and that's all I'm going to do. doesn't feel genuine. But that's how I started. And then, well, I, yeah, you, I mean, you have to have a prompt. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then, well, not this episode. I mean, like when I started the podcast, that's how it was. And then, and then I would listen back. I'm like, this, I don't want an interview. I want a discussion. I want a conversation. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. I'm asking That's you. What something. I loved about going Instagram live with you. Like I was like, we can, we're just going to go off the rails here and see what happens. Yeah. Well, I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. This conversation actually. Um, it's too. There was a question in there that I think is worth talking about, which is, you know, you said, you've been looking forward to this. And I was like, yeah, I think the reason I've been looking forward to this conversation with you is because you and I share a similar idea around mental health, which is like, we have to have humor about it too. These are very heavy topics. We have to be comfortable making fun of ourselves and owning it. That's part of the journey. In my opinion, yes. What we went through is not fun. Yes. Does it suck a whole lot? Yes. But there is a hope in happiness, and that comes with laughter a lot of the times. I I look back, you know, you joke about the women, but like, no, I'm not kidding. Like, especially there was a woman that I was dating when I was going through that depressive period, and 
if she on, on the off chance she is listening she deserves so much better than i can offer and it's not even close and i'm even sorry that that happened to be honest with you well, you're gaslighting and, yourself now i but it's the truth and but like it's not my fault either like at right. the same time okay, like good. i i was going through a lot and i didn't have this tools to fully process that and so now i can look back on it and go oh my goodness i'm sorry for who i was um but, but you know it, it, but it made me a better person today maybe it made her and a better I, person she and has i'm more sure it did I and things for i don't know who knows who knows but you know i but it all made me a better husband now too Hmm. I'm aware of those things. And I, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of in this entire world, no matter what I accomplish in my career or the book or anything, the thing that I am most proud of in this world is my relationship with my wife. She's, she's truly, she's hot. She's smart. She's so much incredible kindness for a person. I don't even know how it's possible to have to possess that much kindness inside of a human being. And she does. And she is so patient with me whenever I find myself spiraling and and going into dark place like she is beyond patient with me but i've always told her i'm going to be upfront with you about everything i'm not going to hide things from you and even when i thought i was scary and i should keep it from her yeah she's like no i want you when you wake up in the middle of the night sweating from a nightmare i want you to wake me up and we can talk about it mm-hmm. you know and that's and but i can be that for her too and she finds herself in those places where it's not going well, or she's, you know, not sure where, to, what the next move is. Like I'm going to be patient with her. We're going to work on it together and we're going to figure it out together. Nice. I, uh, on Wednesday, it's my 20th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, same thing. I think, uh, my wife is also extremely kind and patient and just, I mean, I couldn't date me, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but we we also went through know. some really dark stuff, and she deserved better at times. But um, for whatever reason, we we managed to get through it all, and and we're here now. And uh, it's I I'm just so extremely fortunate and grateful to have so, so like just any not just anyone to support me, but like someone that lives with me and loves me and sleeps in my same bed with me that supports me. <laughs> you know, not just a parent or a friend, like someone who's like my right hand person and I'm their right hand person. That's exactly, I, you, I could not have articulated it better if I tried. That's how I feel about my wife is that, and, and I tell my friends that too. I have lots of friends of mine that are, you know, in between relationships or, you know, have been single for quite some time and they don't fully, they haven't been in something like that. Mm-hmm. And I explain, like, like, I'm not me without her. Mm-hmm. That's just that simple. I, I would not have developed. I don't think I would have written the book without her. I don't think I would have um, accomplished as much in like my day job if it wasn't for her. She was my peace always. Whenever I get overly anxious or stressed out or anything else, she is the thing that holds me together. And I am better suited to go out and face the world because I know that she's there. Mm-hmm. My, my wife's uh, a loud chewer, though. So. Ah, see, that's, I don't know. I mean, you say you've been through a lot together, but that's, yeah. that's some detrimental shit. Yeah, man. We're always on the edge <laughs> as a couple. <laughs> Loud chewer. That's, yeah. that's up there with the seven deadly sins. Like I would almost rather my wife 
I walk in on my wife cheating on me than be allowed to chew. I'm pretty sure that's where I stand on that matter. Thank you for understanding. We need these communities. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go see if I can make you go off. <laughs> um, so you, 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 how, how often do you do the stand-up comedy stuff? Um, not super often. Hmm. It's on my bucket list, man. It's on my bucket list. One day I'll do a, it's fun. A, a, it's fun. A set. Is that what they call it? Ah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's fine. That's a good way to put it. So the, the place to start in stand-up comedy is like, you'd be surprised how many random places will do open mic nights. To me, what's fun about stand-up comedy though, is that for me, mm-hmm. I'm not in it with any alter, like most people that are doing it are trying to like work on that set make it perfect and then build up into something greater and, you know, hopefully get a feature spot somewhere and get paid. And that, that's how you build your, your career. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like the, the big headliners that you have a Netflix special, like that Netflix special started with them going to whatever comedy clubs nearby to them. And they just come in and they work on it over and over and over again to, to get nail it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how, that's the traditional path. And I used to do that when I first did stand-up comedy when I was like 21. Um, and then I took a long break because I frankly was going through enough that I didn't feel funny. Um, and now I do it with a completely different mindset of I'm creating my own chaos. That's why I do stand-up comedy. I need a healthy outlet for me to have chaos. And so I literally decide the day of, hey, I'm going to go to Saki Bottom Brewery and do uh you know a five minute set it's thursday and i'll decide thursday at four o'clock that i've decided i'm gonna put my name on the list and then i get done with my work day and then i go in our i go in our bedroom my wife knows go in our bedroom i'll play some stuff like music or whatever and i'll just write notes and i'll just come up with whatever my five minutes is going to be right then Hmm. and then i drive there and i go do the thing do you you find doing the comedy stuff um do you find that's helpful for your kind of mental health and well not your mental health but like i don't know like venting and i don't know i don't know you know what i mean oh i've had this conversation with a few comedians like i I think comedy in its own way is its own form of therapy like um because one not many people can just stand up in front of a crowd and just be completely vulnerable that way Mm -hmm. you're a musician you know you have you can hide behind your guitar a little bit when you're a stand-up comic it's just you and a mic most of the time and so you and you're going to get instant gratification or instant failure you know very quickly if it's going well or not and so it takes a certain amount of like mental toughness to be able to just get up on the stage that's why i tell anybody who's like just starting out it takes a long time to build up that like thick skin of saying like i just don't care what happens i'm just going to work on my material the way i'm going to work on it in the beginning oh man i'll never forget this I my first my first time ever doing it I was I think I was 20 actually um went actually pretty well but then my second time and so I so I had some unearned confidence I just happened to have this <laughs> one bit that was really good um but then I had some unearned confidence went back up like 2 weeks later horribly bombed like atrocious and the crowd was even drunk at this point and I still couldn't get a laugh <laughs> horrifying and I, and I was ready to give up right then. <laughs> and the club owner found me and he was like, hey, man, I just want to say I'm so happy that happened because you didn't deserve it the first time. Like, <laughs> like you didn't you didn't you have to have a number of these before you can get that. 
he was kind of chalking up to more luck than anything. And he was right, by the way. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that's part of it. But I think also what the material says about you and what you're comfortable with and not comfortable with. And we do, as a society, spend a bit too much time worrying about what anyone's going to think or say or do. Um, and so I think there's something kind of freeing about being a stand-up comic and, and just, I don't care. I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. I'll say the thing that no one wants to say, but I'll say it. And we're going to hopefully laugh about it and move on with our lives. But by the way, I want to ask you this. Okay. What are your thoughts on there? It, there is sort of this like weird, like almost trendiness to mental health. Mm-hmm. And how do you, as someone who's in the space of like creating content around it, how do you deal with some of that where it's like people are like, oh, are you just capitalizing on other people's suffering or, or anything like that? I mean, I guess any publicity is good publicity. So even though I find some of it super disingenuine, <laughs> like there's a, a huge telecommunication company in Canada. Uh, it's called Bell. Um, and they own like TV and internet and all this stuff. And every, every year they have Bell Let's Talk Day and it's all about mental health and stuff. And I mean, they do give money to initiatives and grants and stuff, but it's also just a, a, just a big PR thing, right? It's like Pride Month too. Every, you know, McDonald's makes their M rainbow and shit. It's like, really? Are you, are you really an ally? Do you really get it? And it's like, I've even worked at places in the past that are like, oh, we're, you know, mental health, you know, we care about mental health. And then they're so underemployed and stuff and like people are burning out left and right. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, but do you really care about mental health? Like if you, if you really believed, you know, you, you genuinely were behind mental health, then when I'm having my anxiety attack because I'm so overworked, um, you'd take some corrective action. Yeah. Yeah. Just having benefits yeah. is, isn't, you know, enough. And then, and then a lot, also a lot of people, I think a lot of, in the trend, there's a lot of people confusing mental health me- with mental illness, um, you know, self-care with like um, mental illness care. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, I have a chronic mental illness. Like it's, I can't just go home and do some yoga and have a hot bath and I'm going to be fine tomorrow. Like I need a few weeks off because I'm fucking, you know, I'm borderline panic attack every night. And so then that's a pain in the ass for a company that's trying to, you know, ru- keep running. And so, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, even like the, the term life coach, like everybody, their dog's a life coach now, which is, which is great. It's fine. But I, I worry that because there's so many, it's like anything else. There's only a certain percentage of anything that's really, really good. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, I'm glad people are talking about it at least and it's a discussion and stuff, but actually how helpful some of it is. I'm not sure. Again, it's a spectrum. So it depends, I guess if you're, if if it's just self-care, then that's one thing. But if it's like, you're actually worried about mental health and mental illness, that's another thing. Uh, I'm rambling. No, it's okay. It's you, you hit so many great points there. I mean, there's the core of that though is the intentionality behind it. Are you being actually intentional with whatever you're bringing to the day by whether you're a life coach or if you're a company or whatever it is you're a part of, or you're on social media talking about it, like is your intention good or is your intention to grab the chain? But I, yeah. I do think that most people have a bullshit barometer mm-hmm. and I think we can all tell. Mm-hmm. 
So eventually I think the noise kind of fades itself out naturally just because I think the people that are genuine in their endeavor are going to stand out among the people who are just saying it for them. I, it's funny you mentioned like the pride thing because I actually put – that's actually an extra to the book. I don't know if you did that on purpose or not, but no. – I talk about that to a degree of how there's like this facade that like we do, like, do you actually care about helping the pride community, like the LGBTQI plus community, or are you just saying it because I can check this box? Both those things are true. And so it's like, so for instance, my uh, shameless plug for them, um, I work for a company <laughs> called Congo. We're a software company and it's my day job. And I'm actually the chairperson for our mental health CRG. We created colleague resource groups um, and I took it upon myself to say, like, I, I want to do this mm. because I, I want to enact change within the organization. And, and I've been very grateful that they've given me that kind of the freedom to do that. So in like my sessions that I have, it is an open book. Everyone come with your story. And it's been so amazing to watch people in a workplace share some of the darkest parts of their life. Um, none of which I would ever share on this because that's none of anyone's business, but We've core creating a community within a company, which frankly I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really cool to see. And then it's like, okay, well, how else can we do it? So we brought in speakers to talk about things. Oh, hey, this came up a lot in one of our last sessions. Let's have a whole speaker to come in and talk about how can you work on this. We uh, There was talk of teen suicide with some of our coworkers. So it's like, okay, how, let's talk about the... Let's have a, someone from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention come in, do a whole thing for it, you know? And it's been really, really awesome to see that we're kind of trying to break down the, the, the corporate wall for a second here and acknowledge that this business doesn't run if we as humans don't come together on this and realize that we're all humans at work. And so that's like our kind of mantra of sorts is we're human first. Let's talk to each other. Let's build on this together. And so we can all walk away better for ourselves and then also obviously better for the company too. Mm-hmm. You're a real corporate man. <laughs> well, I'd say that's <laughs> why I wanted to do this, frankly, because that's the nice part is like, I, you know, I'm not someone who has a background in this. I want to disrupt whatever the hell we're calling mental health. Cool. You can say you care about mental health, but are you going to actually do anything about it? I'm going to hold us accountable to make sure we are. Hmm. Does your company do anything for pride? We do. And is it genuine? And yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we, oh, again, we have people, we have people from the pride community that lead their version of the CRG. Gotcha. And, uh, and so we've, uh, we had some folks come in and speak to a different, uh, to our, our group about how we can be better allies as well as, um, how we can help focus and where, what organizations we can donate to and, and share to and that um, participated in like our, one of our big offices out of Denver. So we did a big thing with their pride festival and had a group there participating in. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Cause a lot of it is just, and I, and I agree with you that a lot of most people have a bullshit meter. Uh, there's a lot more I want to say, but <laughs> I'm holding it back, but. I I suppose I could get out. Are you feeling the bullshit coming out of me? Is that what you're about to say? No, 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 not not at all. But there's just a lot of content content creators that like uh, on Instagram and stuff that are just like, I'm like, what the fuck? Like this is just such bullshit. And they have fucking ten thousand followers and stuff. So I don't know. Maybe they don't have a bullshit meter because they do have like some of them do have like tens of thousands of followers and they have these courses and shit. And I'm just like, well, I don't I don't get it. 
but everyone that follows them are just like them. And then they become a content creator. So maybe it's just the bullshitters following the bullshit. Could be. I, that's why I, I don't get too hung up in the content creation of like, I try to hold myself. Of course, like I'm never going to lie and say, I don't look at the numbers and see who's looking at what. And I, you know, I'm curious about certain things, but at the end of the day, like every one of my videos I'm, doing with the intentionality of like, this is something I've realized about myself or something that I've learned in talking to other people. And I want to bring attention to that for 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. And if it ever goes viral, that that's cool. But like, I didn't set out with that. I set out with the intention of if one person sees this and it's like that much better for them because they realize like that hit home. Like, I'm really, really excited for like this week's group of uh, the suicide ones, because I think it's going to hopefully stir up some interesting conversation among people that I won't even know about. That's the wild part to me. Mm-hmm. How many people might catch something or read my book or whatever and, and have a moment where they really have an aha moment and they tell their family or their friends or their therapist and they, and I will never know. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And that's still cool to me. Yeah. It's interesting. Even doing the podcast and stuff and, People tell me, like, I've had people tell me, like, you are just by making this content and having this platform for other people to tell their stories, you have no idea how many people you're touching. And because sometimes it is, it does feel like an echo chamber. It's like, okay, it does, you know, and same thing as I'm not hung up on numbers exactly. I mean, I do check them and stuff because I do eventually want to make this full time. But, um, but yeah, the, the, but there's some days where I'm just like, hello. Anyone out there? Is anyone liking this? But so it's nice to get those comments once in a while where it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. They're, they're right. I have no idea. Uh, yeah. I have no idea who's listening. So yeah. I got a message the other day from a coworker actually of mine, but I, we don't really know each other super well, but she saw something I posted because I shared the same videos. I share them on LinkedIn too. And she just messaged me on there and she said, Hey, I want you to know that someone's listening and that meant a lot to me. And I was like, that right there. Are you going to date her too? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you stud you make it see you make it seem like there's just been the see i assure you it's not been that interesting <laughs> yeah you've mentioned every girl you've dated it's not like there's any more than <laughs> i don't think so yeah i mean far from a ladies man at all like not even not even close but actually i have a question for you again oh okay back to for in the it can fit us back into this content conversation we were having. So then my question for you from a mental health perspective, as someone who puts content out there, how do you handle the negativity that comes with it? Uh, if there is any, maybe everyone loves you. Uh, I, well, I, I guess I don't really get any negative feedback. It's either positive or, or just like nothing or it's like, you know, it's like I said, an echo chamber, but I, I don't think I've ever had anyone kind of make a comment or anything that's that was negative i've had uh i i did have one guest on my podcast that was kind of controversial and so a couple of people made uh comments about the guest but i was like hey whatever don't don't listen to that episode to your podcast. yeah <laughs> that's, I mean, it goes back to what i was saying about the comics like at the end of the day like i don't think anything's off limits that doesn't mean everyone has to like everything like yeah you can find things beyond inappropriate then don't listen to it yeah. It wasn't for you. Yeah. That's how I look at like, I, I'm sure that for every person that's like, oh my God, I love Will's book. It hit home and all those things. For every one of those people, there is someone out there who's going to vehemently hate what I wrote and be like, 
you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, your grammar is probably bad, even though I like had someone edit it. Like, you know, like there, there's something to nitpick. Mm-hmm. Then it wasn't for you. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I go into anything I create with the idea of if you don't like this, it wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. What was I going to say now? Oh, uh, yeah. And, and like, I, I've interviewed a couple people like, uh, one person was narcissistic personality disorder. They were diagnosed with that. And I thought, because right now, the, one of the big content creation things is, uh, I was a victim of narcissism and narcissism survivors and all the stuff, which is, which is fine. I'm sure they're, you know, it's an actual thing, but, um, you know, the other person's also a person that's probably suffering. So it's like, you know, I want, yeah, I'm interested in all sides and, uh, no judgment. If you're diagnosed with a, a disorder, you know, there's gotta be a reason. And it turns out half the, you know, a lot of the times it's also trauma based. It's just for whatever reason, their brain goes this way and other people's go that way. And, um, and yeah. And, and, you know, once someone like that is treated, they're, they're, they're just a human. I mean, I, uh, same thing with me when I was going through my addictions and stuff, I was a dickhead. Like I was, yeah. everyone around me was like cannon fodder. <laughs> so, but, but now I'm treated and, um, you know, I'm aware and I'm, you learned. Yeah. You grew. And yeah, I'm, yeah. So, so yeah, even, even antisocial personality disorder, like if you're treated and you're, um, take responsibility for your own health and stuff, then whatever, like, yeah. don't come at me for giving these people a platform. How dare you? And it's like, well, whatever you, what the fuck do you care? <laughs> well, it's like, again, one, don't listen to that episode if it does that for you, but also I, hell, this might be a controversial statement, but I don't mean it to be, but like, to me, I don't believe anyone's too far from redemption. Now, mm-hmm. caveat, that doesn't mean everyone has to forgive you either. Mm-hmm. Right? You just mentioned for yourself, you said I was very much a dickhead, you know, when you were in your worst parts of your addiction. There, are pro- there potentially could be someone in your life that you hurt badly in that period who has every right to say, not nah, fucked out, I'm out. I'm out on Todd. Oh, God, yeah. There's no amount of growth he can have that's going to make whatever he did okay. Mm-hmm. You, that's right. That they have every right to feel that way, and they should, and that's okay because you hurt them. But you still have a path to redemption for yourself. To you have to continue in this life, and maybe you'll find a new group of people that you can like start fresh with and and build upon that. Yeah, we're we're not. Yeah, it, people can change. Yeah, and I mean, they, they, they have to want it though. You have mm-hmm. to want it, and you have to want it for yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're changing for your family, your friends, significant other, anything else. It's not going to stick. You might, it might work for a little while, but it is not going to stick. If you want to change, you have to want it fundamentally. I don't care if it means you have to hit rock bottom or you just have this self-actualized moment, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And again, there's bullshit meter too, right? It's like, you haven't changed. You said you changed your... I could see the real you under that hat. Right. But I, I, and you hope, and you hope that everyone catches it. And, but I, you know, I hope I want to have a world where everyone can make mistakes and, and learn from them and grow from them and, and become better. But again, like not everyone you hurt owes you a second chance. Mm-hmm. And, That's okay. And on the flip side, I mean, there are people I will resent for life and they may have changed. <laughs> it's like, no, right. Nah, I'm better off just 
have a nice distance Wash between us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's okay because you have to protect your own mental health for that. And so, but I, I just don't, but it doesn't, that doesn't mean for the person that, you know, that, that did that to you, that made you feel that way, that made you resent them. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a path for them. It just won't be with Todd. And that's exactly. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do you, have your best life. I won't be in it. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's all any of us are trying to do is just kind of build our own communities together and find the people around it. Like one thing that I've kind of started filtering on is like the negativity. I just, I'm not saying everyone needs to be raw, raw, false happiness all the time. Happy vibes only. Right. Like I I think that can be a little toxic at times. Mm -hmm. Um, But for what I want to see in the people around me, like if you just always carrying this negativity and everything's out to get you and all i i don't have time for that anymore mm-hmm. i just don't and and i want to be around people who make me feel good about what i'm doing and make me feel like i'm bringing something to them as much as they're bringing to me and we're and we're good for each other and we're building each other up and growing and if you don't have a desire for that then that's fine but like then my circle doesn't need you mm-hmm well, that's something I've learned too in my healing. It's like I used to have uh, 20 people at my house on weekends and now it's like every other weekend I might have one. It's like my bubble has mm-hmm. shrunk, but it, now it's quality, not quantity, right? And right. no offense to people that don't come over. It's just, you know, I don't dislike you. you or, different interests. Yeah, it's just uh, I, uh, I'm i in a different place and I want to surround myself with people like you just said. Exactly. Yeah. That's by the way, that's what I've loved about like our kind of mental health community that's being built. Like there's you and like I've talked to John once or twice mm. uh on like Instagram and then like there's Jason. Jason, yes, and I still think we all three should do something. I think that'd be incredibly fun. I I think that's the thing. It's like I I gravitate towards you all because we have a shared mission of like we think there's some parts of the mental health trendiness is bullshit. We're here to talk about things that matter to us. We're going to be very real and unfiltered about things that have happened in our lives, but we're all going to be better for it. And we can all have a laugh about it too. It's not a bad idea. I try to have a few, like one good one for every like 27 bad ones. Right. So that's not a good percentage, <laughs> but the one that comes out usually is pretty good. I have the idea. Well, I execute uh, to be continued. <laughs> yeah. yeah. sounds like work. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was really, by the way, that's why I was really proud of the book. Like, cause that took a lot of time, effort, and it was like one thing continually. And I'd like had to force myself to make it a habit of like, I'm going to write every day. Cause when I blogged before, it was very much like a, whenever I felt like it, but I didn't have a deadline and anything else. For with this, I was like, I'm creating an artificial deadline and I'm going to make myself do it. Right. My favorite compliment that I've gotten about this book is anybody who knows me that's read it is like, that sounds like you. And I'm like, perfect, because that's what I want. I didn't want the traditional, here's my 10 steps to happiness model. I'm going to have a genuine conversation. It's, I want it to sound like it's me talking. And then eventually it will sound like me because I'll do an audio book. Uh-huh. Um, day, one day. I haven't done it yet. That's a lot of time. It's your legacy, man. It is. And that's, you know, a bit terrifying if I'm being transparent, but it's also (laughs) incredibly beautiful that it's out there. What's the name of the book? The name of the book is One Step Forward, Ideally in the Right Direction. And where can people find it? People can find it on Amazon and Kindle. It's actually part of Kindle Unlimited as well. So if you are a Kindle Unlimited member, you have access to it right now.
Thanks, Will. That was great. Uh, we actually spoke for almost two hours, so I, there was a lot of stuff <laughs> I had to go through and cut to make it, uh, um, you know, somewhat not too long of, a, of an episode. Always good time talking with you. Uh, as I'm recording this right now, I'm actually going to be speaking with him again tomorrow morning. We're kind of collaborating with another podcaster, Jason, from the Rainy Days podcast, who's also been a guest on here before. Uh, so you can watch or listen and watch maybe for that coming up in the future. Thank you to everyone that has been sending messages and talking about my guests and messaging my guests because they've heard them on here uh, I, I really do believe this podcast is a mental health service. So many people are getting so many wonderful things from it, from my guests. So please, if, if you want to support some kind of mental health service, you can support this one just by sharing, following on social medias, rating and reviewing uh, on Apple Podcasts and whatever other podcast platforms you're listening to this on and just telling people about it. You never know who, who might hear something they really need to hear from one of my guests. So if you could do that, that'd be great. Speaking of great, I want to thank Sun, Saskatchewan Union of Nurses and Co-op for sponsoring this episode. And I want to thank my friend Robin for all her help with the virtual assistant stuff that she does. And uh, you can follow her at robinjoy underscore B-I-Z strategist, biz strategist on Instagram. And you can follow her and get her to help you with your small business or your online business. She does all types of strategic supports and uh, prioritizing stuff for you and uh, all types of stuff. The stuff that you don't have time for or maybe you're not that great at. She, she is and she has that time. So please follow and check her out. And also please remember to make your beds and take your meds. Bye. Registered nurses are on the front lines of this nursing crisis right now. I feel like we don't have all of the resources and the tools and the staff to ensure patient safety 100% of the time. Everyone is trying their best, but it's not sustainable the way we're going right now. There needs to be something changing. The nurses across Saskatchewan need to be involved in conversations with the government to try and find solutions. We have ideas, we just need to be involved. This has been a message from the Saskatchewan Union of Nurses.